0: Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort.
1: You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new because Hulu has new stuff all the time.
2: In this episode, Eckhart answers questions from a live audience. A mother asks what to do for her 13-year-old son who's already struggling with difficult behaviors. A man asks how to bring the wisdom from Eckhart's retreats into his daily life. And a woman ponders the difference between a creative impulse and the ego. She asks Eckhart about his decision to move from England to the Pacific Northwest. And Eckhart explains, when the impulse continued for quite some time, he knew he had to follow it. But that's not always the case. Eckhart urges everyone to stay connected to their deepest awareness, especially when life's challenges arise and things don't go our way. He explains why instead of reacting with irritation, anger, and fear towards the situation, we should instead surrender. He says obstacles are not enemies. They are here to help us awaken.
3: Hello, Eckhart. Hello, everyone. Thank you for the opportunity. So I've been struggling a little with the discernment of my ego wanting to contribute to the world, or it being a true energy impulse. I'm at a grateful practice, and I'm very grateful for life in general and for all the blessings and challenges. And it's thanks to your practice, um, your teachings, but I find myself uh, at a point where there is space uh, for more inspired doing. Um, but depending on the day, the energy c- comes and goes; it waxes and wanes. And I enjoy the being part more <laughs> than the doing. So. I would love to ask you, Eckhart, about your impulse to move to the West Coast of North America, and specifically, what did that energy feel like? And did you ever doubt it, um, the, the impulse to, to move or to write the book? Or how, how much was it about your discipline and work ethic as opposed to um, flow?
4: Right. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Sometimes an impulse comes to initiate a change in your life, as it did in my case. It's good to wait uh, if the impulse comes and see if it stays with you for a while. It comes back. It doesn't go away after a few days. The impulse comes and it's still there. It might even grow. And uh, it became very strong. And uh, I didn't doubt it anymore because it, uh, I knew if I had not obeyed this impulse, I probably would have fallen ill or something bad would have happened. I knew I had to follow, follow this impulse and didn't know for what reason yet. When finally I started writing The Power of Now, suddenly when I was on the West Coast, I had moved there without knowing why. And only much, much, much later I realized that this energy field on the west coast of North America, I needed that for some reason so that to give birth to the the power of now. I didn't realize it until I went back to England a couple of times and the writing flow stopped. Now, another question of yours is, um, does it, is it discipline that's required or Is it hard work or that kind of thing? um, There is an intensity there, an intensity of energy, and uh, that is the flow. Let's talk about writing, for example. The flow of writing uh, was strong, but it wasn't automatically there every day because it takes time to write a book, especially if you write slowly, and I'm a very slow writer, but I had great respect for what I knew needed to happen. I knew that this book needed to be written. From the first line, I knew that that was a book that needed to be written. And I made room for it in my life. Every day, every morning, I would sit at the desk, even if, because the impulse wasn't necessarily there every day, sometimes there just wasn't space there. And so I honored it. And occasionally there was just a trickle that came. And then on other days, there was a huge flow. And then another day, there were days when nothing came. And I wasn't unhappy about that. I knew my task is to be here, receptive for it to happen and to use my mind. And it's when the flow was there, it was extremely joyful and energizing. Not only in the moment of writing, but the whole days when when the entire day felt energized, there was an energy stream, high intensity of energy, they could even be mistaken perhaps by an outside observer as stressful but there was no stress in it
0: have you ever brought your magic to walt disney world like hey we came to play did you tip your tiara to a creole princess or get goofy officially
5: when we come through it's true magic because we came to play at walt disney world resort just in and so good thousands of summer deals at your nordstrom rack store save up to 60 percent on new arrivals from vince rag and bone adidas joe's mark jacobs and more great brands great prices every day at nordstrom rack but hurry for first dibs get your summer favorites up to 60 percent off at nordstrom rack today great brands great prices that's why you rack
1: you like to watch new stuff right well go to hulu and see what's new because hulu has new stuff all the time Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. When you're
4: not connected to the deeper being, the deeper... When high energy comes, it can easily degenerate into stress. And people get, uh, they have a big task to do, a big job to do, and they think, well, or even I have to write this book. I have to, Uh, fortunately, I didn't have a deadline. Many writers have deadlines. The publisher gave them deadlines. So there was no deadline. Many people, when they are in the act of creation, they easily lose connectedness with the deeper level Of their being, the being ultimately, they lose themselves in the doing, and they think obstacles become enemies. When things don't go right in their act of creation, they get stressed and annoyed and reactive and angry. So this did not happen. I wasn't even particularly concerned with whether the book would be successful or not. I just knew it had to be had to give birth to it. So in your case, uh, I understand from your question that you need to, you feel you want to do more to, to bring consciousness, there, but you're already doing certain things by being conscious and interacting with people around you in a conscious manner. That is already a contribution, but you believe, and I can understand that, there's more than you could do, that you could do. Is that right?
3: yeah i do feel that there's some more space for the doing i just naturally like to be more in the being part and so for me the doing is a little more challenging but it hasn't really left me because i have been watching it so i don't know if it's about courage and being more brave or i should just wait until i'm really sure i mean you know But
4: right. there was a time before i moved to the West Coast before the impulse came. For quite a few years, I had been doing counseling sessions with people, spiritual sessions with people, and uh, small workshops with people, weekend workshops. I was not very well known. I'm just very small scale workshops, and but very enjoyable. Often, maybe once a month, I would do a weekend workshop. Sometimes 10 people came, sometimes five. There was one workshop that I had announced. One, Only one person turned up for a weekend <laughs> workshop in England. And I said, do you want to do it? Yes, OK, let's do it. So I did the workshop with one person. <laughs> That was an important learning process because the teaching began to began to be formulated through the counseling sessions and workshops. And the, I would take, take notes after sessions quite often of what I had said as a, in response to questions because I had said, I often said things that I didn't know before they came out of presence. I was just, mm-hmm. my main job was to be present with the sitting with one person My main job was to be present, open, receptive, and then often answers came, sometimes through me, sometimes through the other person, or sometimes the question dissolved because it became irrelevant. So that was a wonderful thing. And that went on for a few years. And then I I contemplated this and I felt something extremely valuable that is on offer here, but I'm not reaching more people after several years. And the, the moment came when I was visiting in Somerset, England, a small village, I went into a village church, very ancient, one of these wonderful ancient churches that every English village has. Nine, eight, years old, nobody in there. And they sat there and it was an interesting altar with the uh, interesting symbols. And then I was contemplating all this and it suddenly had this impulse to say, uh, I want acceleration, please. (laughs) I said, please give me acceleration in the work that I do. And that was a meditation on acceleration. And then for a few weeks, nothing happened. And then after, I don't know, four or five weeks, the impulse came, I need to move. I didn't know that that was the acceleration I had asked for. i had almost forgotten about it. But I believe now there's a connection between asking for acceleration and suddenly feeling I'm going to change my life totally, move, leave the country, get rid of everything, go into a complete unknown with a limited amount of money and just do it. And that was part of the acceleration. I didn't realize it much later and retrospectively. Oh, that's where it started. So this is one way of asking for it. Sometimes you may get uh, some kind of impulse to see what it is that you might want to do to contribute to the awakening of consciousness. And our contemporary world offers many possibilities. As you know, for example, every human being, although there's a lot of negativity happening in the into on the internet and all that but on the other hand every human being can reach millions of humans you no longer need intermediaries to reach other humans and you can uh, you, you don't have gatekeepers unless you become political you don't have gatekeepers anymore you can put out anything you like and a lot of it of course is human unconsciousness that's being disseminated through the internet, but potentially you can also, as we are doing here now, it can also be used for the awakening of consciousness. And this is not only to you, but to anybody you don't know, who have already had a certain degree of awakening within themselves, A first step you could take is to post a little meditation on YouTube. <laughs> or whatever it is you want to post. Some people may find it helpful or talk about yourself and what you, has been helpful for you. This is just one example. You could do countless possibilities are there and then a few humans, you, you may reach a few and if they are helped by this, then it'll spread more to others. And this is just one way you can reach many, many humans, and uh, we need more consciousness in the whole the, the internet phenomenon because at the moment it is largely dominated by unconsciousness and dysfunction. It amplifies egoic dysfunction. Facebook, Instagram, etc., where people create images of who they are, project them into the outside world, where for many young people, the virtual world is more real than, than nature and the real world and real human interactions. With, with this very harmful things, it can affect human consciousness in a very detrimental and destructive way. It's a, in itself, it may be neutral, but it's already affecting many youngsters in a very harmful way, amplifying the, the human ego, amplifying reactivity, and so on. So we need to counteract that and use it for good, for the for consciousness. So it needs people to uh, do that. Quite a few are doing it already, and this could just be a starting point. Whether or even some people, even I've occasionally I look some people even post just good wonderful quotes from from others so some people have are quite popular they just every other day they post a spiritual quote an uplifting or something that takes you deeper all kind of all kinds of possibilities are there already if you want to start reaching people and mm-hmm. see where it goes from there so yeah. um I've said to quite a few people, well, go start there, get a camera. And even if you don't know what to say, that's a good starting point, not knowing what to say and being comfortable with not knowing what to say. So you start with the moment of, okay, just being. And then perhaps a few words will come. If you're not comfortable with that, then you might prepare a few points. I would advise against reading a script uh, because that the power will be, be lost. If you just read a script, there will be a loss of power in, in your transmission. If you have a few points that you need to mention, that may be fine. So many things are possible. There are also people who produce, there's a lot of, quite a lot of creativity on, on, online also apart from the dysfunction Some people produce wonderful things on nature, making viewers more conscious of nature. Some humans produce little works of art just every day, looking at trees and flowers and so on. Many, many things are possible. If you start with one, even that one thing may not lead to anything, but that may take you somewhere else. Perhaps through it you meet someone, and then that someone presents another opportunity to you, but it's good to start somewhere, whatever it may be, take a first step, and then go from there. In the meantime, don't overlook the fact that your state of consciousness is already important, even if you don't reach anybody, because you're connected to the totality of consciousness, and one human being awakening affects the totality of the human collective of consciousness, even if you don't physically interact with other people. So even though, don't overlook that, yet you're already contributing significantly, even though on a physical level, yet you may not be reaching anybody or many people. Also, your human interactions, if you are present with other humans, that there is a, an outflow from you of goodwill, of benevolence, of loving kindness to the humans you come into contact with. That's already a, a very important contribution to a change in consciousness. So if you are present, you affect every human that you come into contact with also with that presence, because when you are present, your, your interactions are not dominated by, by the human ego, but loving kindness, loving kindness is a nice word. Empathy with other humans, feel a con- sense of connectedness or oneness because you can sense the being of the other beyond the personality. In that way, you're already changing the world too. So you're, and I believe you're already, your state of consciousness is always reflected in your interactions with other human beings and there already you're making an important contribution even though you may only reach 20 people on a regular basis or whatever it may be don't underestimate the importance of that also. Thank you.
3: Thank you. you. Appreciate
4: it. Thank you.
6: Hi. I'll read you my question. My 13-year-old son has built such a thick shell of ego around himself that he's been suffering for years and he's completely identified identified with his quite nasty mind and he has no way of getting out it's hard to know how to help him I have in my head that someone said that a a child builds their ego and as an adult we dismantle it but he's suffering he's only 13 and I wonder if he's too young to start to learn to die to self. Is he formed enough for that? We've talked a little bit about this. He's not sure he has an essence because he's never felt it. So he thinks all he is is his mind. Um, And so I don't know where to start.
4: (laughs) Great. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it is not uncommon for adolescents, particularly to develop... Not everybody does, but it's not uncommon for Alas to develop a, a very strong, very strong ego.
6: He started when he was three.
4: Yeah, it, well, egos start to develop at an early age. Yeah. In some cases, quite a few cases, but not necessarily so. In some cases, it is due to overindulgent parenting can contribute to that. Overindulgent parenting where... Nothing the child does is ever wrong. They never have any, whatever they do, they never experience any consequences for their actions because the people want to, parents want to give them total freedom. It's an interesting idea. They they want the child to develop totally freely. So give them immediately what they, they want the child to be happy, give them what they need immediately. They want the child to feel good about themselves. So they get a lot of praise. You're the greatest, you're wonderful. And even at schools these days, uh, sometimes you get trophies just for, for participating, not for winning anymore. Uh, there's a good side and a bad side to that. On the good side is, yes, it's great. It makes them feel good. I wish they'd had participation trophies uh, when I was at school because I never got a trophy because I didn't win in sports events and so on. <laughs> so I didn't get them. But there's a, a negative side to To these things, to saying, child, you are so wonderful. Because then they develop a, a delusional idea about who they are, about themselves. Now there's not much you can do right now. He is certainly not ready at this point. The fact is that if this ego is now going to control him, and as he begins to go into life, begins to have relationships and so on, it is inevitable that he will experience suffering, mostly self-generated. Suffering generated through in relationships that he enters, will arise suffering, other situations, whether job situations, whatever it may be. If he has a strong ego, a very strong ego, it is virtually inevitable that he will generate a lot of conflict and suffering for himself, for others too, That's what egos do. They don't know that they're doing it, but... And the, the suffering potentially and eventually will bring about a crack in the shell of egoic shell. It'll crack it open at some point. That's, that's the moment to wait for. And then when that happens, now, when this will happen, we don't know whether it'll happen five years from now, 10, 15, 20 years from now, we don't know when that will happen. But the humans with very, very strong egos produce a lot of suffering for themselves and others. And for a long time, they will perceive all their problems as coming from other people. That's the normal thing, how an ego operates. All all that's wrong with the world all that's wrong with their lives is blamed on others and other situations <laughs> and then they suffer more and more and then a moment may come in some people it never comes but i believe because you are your presence is probably helpful although there's not much you can do right now but when the suffering really starts then your presence may be helpful and perhaps accelerate
0: Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort.
1: You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring... The Kardashians, of course, and Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu.
4: Sometimes not necessarily by saying anything, but just by being there or saying something when the right moment arises. At this moment, all you can do is compassionate, realize that's not who, who he ultimately is, It is something that has come into him. It's part of the evolution of humanity. And so he's a manifestation of the evolution of the human ego. And not confuse, important for you, not to confuse this egoic almost entity, or it's not an entity, but one can look at it as an entity, with who he is. Because there is an essence there. He hasn't found it, and it's maybe hard to see. But at some point, whether when it happens, when a marriage breaks down, or his second marriage breaks down, or he has other relationships that create havoc, all we can hope for is that the consequences that come from egoic unconsciousness are not going to be too destructive and overwhelming, as for example, it happens if uh, youngsters sometimes that sometimes parents they give them a, when they're 17 or 18, they love their child so much, then they on their birthday they're given a, a sports car, Porsche, whatever. Oh, there, I want to make my child happy, and then the child's ego gets even bigger because they, the Porsche becomes part of their ego. And then they have a few weeks later they have a cause a disastrous accident. This many many cases like that uh, everywhere. Let's hope that this is not the suffering that he finds will not be of that kind, but it will be suffering. And ultimately, that is the path of awakening for humans. The the stronger the ego, the stronger the suffering. But that ultimately is how it's meant to be because that is how humans evolve. He is lucky that he has you in his life because when the moment comes and he is ready, you will be there to help him. In the meantime, all you can do is observe compassionately, do what you can. Don't try to uh, get rid of his ego. It's not going to work. You may not even succeed in trying to find his the being, the presence. he's not quite ready it seems he's not ready for that, but that's fine. Now important that the when the suffering begins for him, it's important that you're not too reactive that you recognize it for what it is because otherwise you get drawn into the suffering yourself. So it's empathy, yes. Compassion, yes, but also wisdom to see what, to see why and how why it is happening.
6: Okay, so as a parent, if if he were your son, you wouldn't even talk with him about the difference between an ego and an essence, and you wouldn't you would leave that.
4: I would leave that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what I might do is uh, take my child into nature because nature can temporarily temporarily free you from some ego, especially also interacting with nature, doing something in nature. Okay. That, can, that I would do as much as possible to take him out of, uh, he probably also uses these devices, uh, whatever they, they use, screen, also to take some time off, take him out into nature, that is can be very healing and temporarily alleviate right. the burden of, of ego as much as possible, nature. Um, that would probably be my main strategy. Okay. Thank, you. Thank
7: you. Thank you. Thank you so much you. for everything, taking the time tonight, but just being on this journey with me. And it's just been, I i, I had to say that this evening. So it wasn't part of the question, but I had to say it, I Thank you so much. My question is, when I'm watching your videos or reading your books, listening to audio, I am overcome with this feeling of, of peace, almost like a, a love, something that I've never felt before, that I can't even describe. How do I Take that feel. This is a two-parter. How do I take that feeling, Eckhart, into the world with me? Because it's there. I'm feeling it now. And I'll, maybe I'll feel it a little later on, but I find it starts to dissipate. The second thing, and if you can answer both, great. When you are speaking or when I'm reading uh, your, your work, there's an understanding and a realization of how things are but I tend to forget them and I have to go back. And it's it's like, why do I understand when I'm with you right now? And I'm like, ah, yes, that makes sense. And then I'm in reality and I'm like, what was that again? And why doesn't that make sense anymore?
4: (laughs) Right, thank you. Now, it's um, probably not necessary to remember that much from what is being said the essence of our being together is not really a conceptual, it's more um, to participate, to join in the arising presence. And what I offer you for the time being is a reflection of the presence in you, not your presence, but the presence that is running through it looks like you, and it recognizes itself. So when you what you sense in me, you, you sense it in yourself. So it is it is yourself that you are sensing, not me, not me. <laughs> so I I give you that reflection of yourself. So it's not me. And so when, I, when you're not with me, which means the reflection isn't there then you cannot that easily find that connection because it can the world comes back in and you lose that connection and so my advice would be to create uh, openings in your daily life for this to arise again you know but not for, not look for it that feeling of Whatever you want to you you want to use to describe it, that connectedness, the aliveness, peace, joy, whatever it is uh, that you sense, being really more fully yourself—not the person self—but but not trying to regain that, but create a space for it to happen. And you create a space for it to happen again. I'll mention again what I just said in the, pre- to the previous question. One example we can do this is by giving attention to nature, going out into nature and connect with it by giving it your fullest attention, sensory attention. And once you've given it sensory attention fully, which means thinking subsides because you're just perceiving, and then you become aware of two things, but it's ultimately one thing, but looks like two things. One thing you become aware of is yourself as the underlying awareness when you look at this tree or the flower or just a, a meadow or a blade of grass or flowing river or the sky, whatever it may be, or bird, or cat or dog, you become aware of yourself as the awareness and that is, you're regaining that now by becoming aware of yourself. Nature is more helpful than the man-made, the human-made world because in the human-made world, everything is done through the human mind. So it's not as easy to take you out of your mind when you're surrounded by mind-made things. So in the middle of a city, you're surrounded by mind-made things, or there may be a tree here and there, that's good. Sky will still be there, that's good. But you will be surrounded by mind-made things. When you're really very present, even that is fine. And when you're really very present already and deeply rooted in presence, you can find this the consciousness, even in mind-made things. But in the meantime, nature is easier. Use nature as a portal to find yourself. Now, I mentioned two things. One thing was when you contemplate nature, sometimes you may contemplate just one thing in nature, like a tree or flower. At other times, you may contemplate a totality of a a landscape or there may be a a park and you see the totality of the park or you see the sky you might look at one cloud or you see the totality of the sky nature can be either one thing or it can be many things a field a meadow whatever it may be that's all fine doesn't matter whether it's a more expansive thing or one thing and then you become aware of yourself, as I said, as the underlying awareness. And so there's perception and there's the presence. In other words, you're very still while you're perceiving. And then the next thing, which is not really the next thing because they come together, and I also talked about that earlier on at the beginning of our session, you can then also sense that there's more to the tree or to the meadow or the sky then meets the eye. You can then also sense that there's an inherent aliveness in that tree that transcends what you see with your senses. You can also realize that what you call tree is really a mystery. By calling it tree, you create the illusion that that you, you know what it is. And if you completely believe in every label that the mind creates, you begin to inhabit a dead universe, and the mystery is gone, and you believe that you know. But all you do, and I'm not doing just to you personally, but to all humans, all you've done is created mental labels and mistake that for as an explanation for for the deep mystery of existence and of every being. In other words, when you're relating through mental labels, you cannot sense the depth in anything. Nothing has any depth anymore. There was a there's a philosopher who used the term. It was Ken Wilber, spiritual philosopher. I don't know if he used it with reference to what I'm talking about, but I think to some, in some way he did. He has the term flatland.
7: <laughs> you inhabit
4: a flatland. It has no depth to it whatsoever. And this is how many humans perceive reality. Nothing has any depth, there's no soul in, in, they can't perceive the the soul in the tree, the inherent aliveness and the mystery of it and the beauty of it that's hiding there beyond sensory perception. So then the two things, which are not ultimately two, you can sense the awareness that is is the, the light in which these things appear. And you can also sense that which is beyond sensory perception in that which you are perceiving. It's no longer flat land. There is a depth to it. There's a mystery to it. And you then realize that what you call a tree or dismissed as an oak tree, it's a nice oak tree. How old is it? Okay, now I know. That's why Krishnamurti, the spiritual teacher, said When you teach a child the name of the bird, the child will never see that bird again. In other words, the concept has replaced the realization of the actuality of that mystery. So don't inhabit a world of labels. Remove labels, use labels when you need them, but not become captivated by concepts and mental labels. Experience the world beyond that and know yourself, who you are yourself beyond any mental label, any conceptual reality. So nature is helpful, create that. One other thing I might recommend is moments in your daily life of uh, awareness, invite awareness into brief moments when you're just, I sometimes say take a conscious breath, one conscious breath, one conscious breath is you You give fullest attention to the act of breathing. Not not particularly feeling that I'm now doing a conscious breath, but Mm simply observing the breath that's happening anyway. So you feel the in breath and the out breath. Give it your fullest attention. Maybe even two conscious breaths. Three, perhaps, but even one is a good thing because one creates a moment of inner spaciousness because while you're giving your fullest attention to the breath, you cannot be thinking. If you're thinking, you're no longer giving your attention to the breathing. You can either give your attention to the breathing or you can be thinking. So a good way to step out of thinking when you don't want it is breath awareness. Of course, it's even been developed into a whole meditation method. So some people sit for for half an hour, one hour observing their breath. Mm -hmm. That's fine too. But I believe that these mini meditations are extremely helpful because each time they create an inner space, they reduce the mental clutter. And it's like clouds parting, cloudy sky and suddenly as you take one or two conscious breaths, the clouds part and then you see the the blue vastness beyond the clouds, and that's in you. So many moments during the day, some breath awareness that that is very helpful tool. Last thing, again, it's an invitation of presence. Choose every day one or two activities. They could be routine activities that you do and do them consciously, Not, nothing that takes too long, do them consciously without looking for the end result, making a cup of coffee, a cup of tea, preparing some breakfast. If you use an elevator every day, very helpful, you press the button to call the elevator and instead of looking at your phone, as many people do, Just be there consciously. You may want to take a conscious breath or not, or just be there, and then you step into the elevator, and then even there, you can still be there while the elevator travels. So every time you use it, it's a practice of presence every time. Or if you use stairs where you work or at home, as much as possible, every time you go up or down, be conscious of every step. So you break the momentum of the mind that always drags you along to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. So it's a very different way of going up or down the stairs whether you're conscious of every step or whether you just want to get to the top or the bottom of the staircase. Very different way of of going up or down the stairs. One last, you can come up with your own practices. One last one that I like is If you use a car, when you get into your car, you put on the seatbelt and then you wait 30 seconds before you start the car, but don't count the seconds, just approximately 30 seconds. And if your mind tells you, I don't have time for this, it's a lie, there's nobody who doesn't have time for 30 seconds, unless it's a complete emergency your wife is pregnant and you need to get it to give birth, that's different. But otherwise, it's 30 seconds, it's very little. And so every time you sit there, but you're not sitting there waiting for the 30 seconds to pass, <laughs> you sit there just present and contemplate. Or if you like, one more thing. <laughs>
7: Please, that's great. <laughs>
4: There's a traffic light and it's red. Why not make that into every time you wait at a red light, be present? And mm-hmm. you may want to look around. Well, don't, don't lose sight completely of the light because it will change to green. But you may look around a bit. Peripherally, you can see still see the red. There's other cars. There may be people. Just be there as an innocent observer mm-hmm. of what's going on in the, your field of vision. Some people have worked out, and unfortunately, I don't remember how much. If, if a person reaches the age of 70 and uh, since the age of 20, he he drives every day to or from work or something, they've worked out how much time they spend waiting in traffic lights in lifetime. It's an enormous amount of time. Unfortunately, I've got forgotten the figure. It's like many months, almost a year, something like that, waiting at... So why not use this as a wonderful opportunity? In fact, every kind of waiting is an opportunity for practicing. Most people these days, the moment they start waiting for something, they get out their phone. It's an automatic thing. Most of them don't have anything particular to look at. They're not getting it out because they, they heard a text message. They're just getting it out because there's nothing else to do. They have to fill this moment with something, yeah. which means mental clutter. I need more mental clutter. And if you are not doing it, somebody next to you is doing it, and then you go, okay, I better do it too. Yeah. And, and so they go like, they all like this. What if somebody from the past has come, time traveler, had come from Roman or Middle Ages, or even a 100 years ago. You would say, these people are crazy. They are, they're in some kind of state of hypnosis. What has happened to them? they they all like this uh, and say, oh, the, the world has gone completely crazy, they would say, the time traveler. And in some way it has. <laughs> so obviously there are times when you, when the, the reason for using these things, maybe there is a message coming in and you want to see what it is, fine but just at random getting it out because you just can't stand being with yourself. That's crazy. (laughs)
7: Wonderful information. Thank you so much. Blessings to you You and to your team
4: and to all of you. (laughs) Thanks. Right. Well, this is our session for today. Thank 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 you. I'm Oprah Winfrey. And you've been
2: listening to Eckhart Tolle, Essential Teachings, the podcast. You can follow these essential teachings on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, go to Spotify and follow this podcast. Join us next week for more enlightened teachings from Eckhart Tolle. Thank you for listening.
5: Justin, and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store.